Hannah does not have children. Hannah prays desperately that she might have a child and says, God, if you will give me a child, I will present him for your service with the priest Eli and a child appears. A child is born. The second chapter of 1 Samuel then deals with the corruption of the house of Eli. Eli and his sons don't run the place as it should be run. And particularly Eli's sons wind up enriching themselves at the expense of those who have come to worship God. The birth of Samuel, the corruption of Eli's house. And now we move to 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel has been born. He has lived there with Eli, working in the church for some time. Hear the word of the Lord. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord under Eli. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, and he answered, Here I am, and ran to Eli, and said, Here I am, for you called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. The Lord called again, Samuel, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again a third time, and he got up and he went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down. And if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood there calling as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. Now, what a wonderful thing it would be if that were the end of the chapter. It's such a nice and heartwarming story of how God begins this relationship, this prophetic relationship with, with Samuel. Samuel becomes a prophet, but here at verse 10, the remainder of the chapter turns dark. Now, if you've read chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Samuel, you kind of expect this. But in chapter 3, we go from this moving account of Samuel learning to listen to God 
to a word of judgment. Then the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make both ears of anyone who hears of it tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. For I have told him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Therefore I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be expiated by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay there until morning. And then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord. Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli, but Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. He said, here I am. Eli said, what was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Then he said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. As Samuel grew, the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, use your servants' lips and your people's ears and hearts that they may be wed, that the seed of your word might be planted and brought forth with a resurrection joy. Amen and amen. Samuel, Samuel, God calls to this young child in the night in a period when the word of the Lord was rare, when visions were not widespread. Samuel, Samuel, Samuel's asleep. Eli is not inside the precincts of the holy place. Eli is off where the priests go, but Samuel, Samuel sleeps inside the church. And so we can tell that for many, many millennia, the time-honored practice of sleeping in church has been around. Eli is outside and Samuel is inside and he's close to the holy place where the Ark of the Covenant is. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, we have the two angels. And the God of Israel was understood to be enthroned upon the cherubim. In other words, if there was a specific place on earth where God was understood to be, it was that the Ark of the Covenant was God's throne and there was the presence of God. And so it's not terribly surprising that there, very close to the inner sanctum, Samuel hears a voice, even in a time when the word of the Lord is rare, even in a time when visions are not well 
are not widespread. There are some similarities between the account of Samuel and the account of the birth of Jesus. Maybe you've noticed these before, but both of them have divine intervention. Hannah, Samuel's mother, cannot conceive. And so she pours her heart out to God, and as a result of a miracle, Samuel is born. Now she's made a promise to God that the first child she bears will work for Eli, will work there in the holy place. Both Hannah and Mary sing. And if you want to compare the song of Hannah in 1 Samuel 2 with Mary's song in Luke 2, you will see that there are thematic continuities there between Hannah and Mary. It's almost like Mary may have Hannah's song in front of her as she talks about the proud being humbled and the lowly lifted up because of God's action in the world. There are similarities between the birth of Samuel and the birth of Jesus. Some places they become very clear. For example, in the chapter before the one we read, we find, now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and the people. Luke chapter 2 describes Jesus as increasing in wisdom and stature or years and in divine and human favor. I want to take a few moments and look at some of the features from chapter 3 of 1 Samuel and understand that these features occur within the larger context. Samuel is born. It's a miraculous gift to Hannah. Eli, the old priest, his household has become corrupt. And now God has spoken a word of judgment against Eli's house. One of the themes here is Eli's vision. Eli's sight. Now I can't imagine what it would be like for me at this point in my life if I lived in a time when there were not glasses. I just got a new pair of glasses. You can't really tell, but they're at least bifocals. There may be trifocals. I don't know. I had to have instruction on how to wear them. Point your nose at what you want to look at and move your chin up and down until it comes into focus. It's been a long time since I've gotten new eyewear. And so there are certain things that I thoroughly, thoroughly have enjoyed. Looking at the full moon, for example or a half moon or more, is something that that I see much more clearly than I have seen in a long, long time. Lately, I've had to look through a telescope to see most of the features on the moon, but with, with proper visual equipment, I can see some of those features just out on a regular night now. Eli's vision is 
is failing. He's, he's slowly going blind. Eli can't see. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see, was lying down in his room. We have to realize that on one level, this is a literal loss of sight. Eli's gotten old, and just like most of us, when we get old, we, we lose the ability to, to see. He perhaps has cataracts, and there's no way for them to be treated in the ancient world. But I want to suggest that the writer is telling us not only is Eli not experiencing 20-20 vision, but he has lost the ability to see something that is fundamentally deeper We see that in the first chapter of 1 Samuel. Hannah, Samuel's mother, is praying silently. Only her lips move, but her voice was not heard. And therefore, Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. Eli's vision is growing dim. Before him is someone desperately seeking an encounter with God, desperately, desperately asking something of God. And Eli, the holy man, mistakes her for someone who is intoxicated. Listen, it is possible for our vision to grow so dim that we miss the work of God in the world. It is possible for our vision to grow so dim that we miss the work of God in the world. Maybe you remember a time 15, 20 years ago when your relationship with God was vital when you wandered around and saw the fingerprints of God, the hallmarks of God's work everywhere. But now your vision has grown dim. And it is only with great difficulty that you see such things if you see them at all. Maybe once upon a time you had a relationship with God that was astonishingly real and present and you wandered and spoke with God and gave thanks for the food that you ate, for the life that you lived, for the relationships that you formed, for seeing a good friend, for an embrace. Oh, I can hardly wait for an embrace. My friends, my family members, Maybe there was a time when all of that was real to you and your vision has grown dim and you no longer see the work of God in our world. One of the features is Eli's vision. He's someone who who can't see. He doesn't really understand what God is doing. He doesn't understand that Hannah is praying. He doesn't understand that God is speaking to Samuel. Now, as a father, I've learned to sleep through anything. 
I can sleep whether there are people playing games downstairs or, or running around the house or, or whatever. I can sleep through anything. But, but Eli's been awakened three times. And finally he figures out, oh wait a minute, he's sleeping there near the Ark of the Covenant. And what was it like when God spoke to people? And God might be speaking now. And so he sees. But it takes him a while to see. And it's somewhat understandable that it takes him a while to see. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were not widespread. And so it takes Eli some time to recognize God's involvement in what's happening on that strange night. It's possible for you and me for human vision to grow so dim that like Eli, we miss what God is doing in our world. Now, what begins is this heartwarming story of Samuel entering into this prophetic relationship with God. What begins with this narrative that I'd love to have stopped at verses 1 through 10 continues on in judgment. Why judgment? Well, let's go back into chapter 2. Now, Eli was very old, and he heard all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they lay with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear. The people of the Lord spreading abroad. If one person sins against another, someone can intercede for the sinner with the Lord. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can make intercession? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Near the end of chapter 2, right before our narrative begins, a nameless prophet comes and speaks these words to Eli and reminds Eli that he and his family have a responsibility. This nameless prophet says, Why then look with greedy eye at my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded and honor your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? It's not so much that Eli is wicked. It's that Eli is weak. He will not stand up to his sons. He does not prevent them from taking advantage of those who come to worship. And in fact, there is something about Eli's faith, as flawed a character as he is, and he is a tragically flawed character, but there's something about Eli's faith that shows that he is not a wicked man. Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy 
And Eli said to Samuel, go lie down, and if he calls you again, you shall say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay in his place. Eli, the mentor of Samuel, does in the end give him advice that is good and proper. He prepares Samuel to receive the word of the Lord. Can't you imagine what a long night that was for Eli? What a long night that was for Samuel. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. It was still dark. Samuel is inside with the doors closed and has heard this word of judgment and has to wake up in the morning with the dawn and open the doors and tell Eli the news of judgment. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And Eli, this imperfect man, this man whose leadership was perhaps far weaker than leadership should be, responds in a kind of faith. It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. I want to go back for a moment to the question. The question that was asked in chapter 2. If someone sins against the Lord, who can make intercession? Now, I've, I've noted that the birth narratives of Samuel and Jesus share so many similarities. I've noted that Hannah's song and Mary's song are cut from the same cloth. But here is an existential question that is asked of Eli and it is asked of you and of me. If someone sins against the Lord, who can make intercession? And it's a question that is answered in the gospel of the one who was born of the virgin and who grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are and yet is without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If someone sins against the Lord, who can make intercession? The one who came. The one who gave himself for our sins so that nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. It is he who intercedes for us. It is he who at the right hand of the Father speaks on our behalf. If someone sins, who can make intercession? The Son. 
Look at what the New Testament tells us, not just about the Father and the Son, but about the Spirit. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. But that very Spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with the will of God. Hear me, dear friends, there is something that's offered to you and to me that old Eli with his dim vision never got the opportunity to see. And that is that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are working on our behalf to save us. I love the words of the Gospel of John. John 10.10 where Jesus compares. The thief, he says, comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they may have life and may have life abundantly. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit long to be in relationship with you and with me. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, call to us. Do you have eyes to see? Maybe you've not seen and want to pray, oh God, show me your goodness, show me that you're there, Show me that you care about me and aren't just watching from way off, waiting on me to have a misstep. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. God will open your eyes to see those blessings. Maybe once you had eyes that could see, but over the years they have grown dull and they have grown dim. And maybe today you need to ask God for renewed vision to be able to see His work in the world yet again. Eli's eyes were dim and I fear that sometimes ours are as well. Maybe we need to ask God for the hearts that bear the fruit of repentance. Eli had a choice. And as I've said, it wasn't that he was wicked. It was that he was weak. And God was raising up a character, Samuel. Now, interestingly enough, Samuel has his own 